Hi, I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir. We're in Washington, D.C. today with Tiffany McIsaac from Buttercream Bakery. Tiffany, you didn't bring the baked goods, but I did, and we're going to talk about them in a minute. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm really glad you remember because I forgot. So I never, I never forget baked goods. Um, I was, I thought I might bump into you there this morning because you probably start very early. Well, I was in the dungeon baking away. Yeah. Kitchen's downstairs. I barely ever see people. <laughs> well, there was a nice crowd in there at 7 a.m. I got there when you opened. Um, and Lisa Ryerson, president of the AARP Foundation, also part of the Root Cause Coalition, which yes. sponsors. Add passion and stir. We do. So we're thrilled you're here. And we're delighted to sponsor it, and I'm happy to be here. And I'm glad you brought the treats, because Tiffany, I walked in and said to Billy, do you think Tiffany's bringing breakfast treats? Well, you can't can't just talk about food (laughs) in the abstract, right? (laughs) Thank God you saved me. (laughs) No, I've really come to believe you can't talk about food in the abstract. If you're going to talk about it, you should be tasting it. There you Um, go. Tiffany, let's start with you. Uh, Buttercream Bakery's been open about two years now in the Shaw neighborhood of Washington, but we were just talking about uh, your beginnings in this industry. Union Square Cafe was one of the first places. That was my very first job. Um, Did did you have a culinary education or? I did. did So when I moved, I moved to New York when I turned 18, and I really didn't come from a food family. Like I never even considered food as an occupation. It always seemed kind of like. I don't know. It just didn't really exist in my world. Um, what, do you, what, what was your What did your folks do? I grew up in Hawaii. Um, my in dad, Maui? Yep, on yeah. Maui. Yep, my mom was a substitute teacher. My dad um, did construction and drywall and house finishing, and we just ate at home, and we never ate out at dinner. And it's funny, when I said I was going to culinary school, I was transitioning out of dance and theater into culinary, and my mom said to me, I wish you would find a job that was more stable. And I'm thinking, I'm leaving theater, like the least stable job in the world. (laughs) There's nowhere to go but Uh, up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Can't get worse than this. Um, But I remember I got my first job in a restaurant in New York as a hostess. And, you know, hostesses are interesting positions because they should know the most about the restaurant. They talk to every single customer. But I had no idea what was going on. Most of the time, they don't even go past the host stand. And one night, they had me in for dinner um, so that I could try the food. And it just completely blew my mind and within a week I was in the kitchen trailing and then a couple months after that That's I went what to culinary the switch school. For you. That was totally it. did. Beef cheeks. Yeah. Beef cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget it. <laughs> they brought it to the table and I was like, wait, cheeks like on their face? And they said, Yeah. And I was like, All right. And then I had to know more. <laughs> and you got a job at Union Square Cafe, which is really an amazing place to start. We were just talking about the fact that Danny Meyer, the a founder of the Union Square Cafe Hospitality Group, Gramercy Tavern, Shake Shacks, being honored tonight by the Smithsonian with the Julia Child Award, which is so very great. prestigious. Uh, and you just walked in and got the job? You know, I really lucked out, I guess. At the time, I didn't know. You know, when you're first entering any industry, I think, especially culinary school, such a quick program, you only, I was only in school for seven or eight months. So I didn't really know that much about food yet. Um responded to an ad kind of it was really very lucky I mean I went in for an interview got the job Um, when I started I didn't realize how great it was until I continued to go to other places and now when I look back I really realize what an amazing work environment it was how much I learned there it was just a great it really is a great company everything they say I experienced and found to be true which you don't find that often right so it lives up to the hype it does. I That's mean, like, so I, like I said, I just went back to New York for the first time in a while this weekend, and the first place my husband and I went was Gramercy Tavern for a drink. You just always know it's going to be exceptional, and they do treat their employees great. Yep. So, um, Lisa Ryerson, you're president of the ARP Foundation. I am. Before that, uh, college president? College president, Wells so, College in Aurora, yeah. New York. Yeah. How big is Wells College? Wells College is a residential liberal arts college of under 600 students. Yeah. So very small, intimate. And I read that your first job 
Was it McDonald's? Yes. Or one of your first jobs? Yes, it was okay. my first job. Well, one little, of my first jobs. A little jobs. different than Union Square Cafe, it. but you both started yeah. kind of in the food food world. <laughs> I mean, it was one of my first jobs. I was raised by parents who believed in working hard, so we always, when we could get our working papers, we were out and working. I loved working at McDonald's. I really did. Because? Everything about it. I think it was a great atmosphere as a young worker. It was always also intergenerational, and you had to work hard, and you learned about customer service. Yeah. And that, to me, has been a skill that I've used in every position I've held throughout my career. Everyone should work in customer service at some yes. point. For sure. I completely agree with that. Yeah. And how did you go from McDonald's that to, to being, being a college president? president. <laughs> you know, I think it's interesting knowing a little bit about your story, Billy, but also Tiffany, your generosity and sharing, being open to opportunities. So that was my high school job and my college job along with other things. And I went to college at Wells where I was fortunate enough to return to serve as president and just was always learning, soaking things up, pursuing opportunities, and when doors opened, I entered them. You didn't start as college president. Though, oh, no, right? no, no, no. I didn't start as college president. In fact, given that we're talking about food, fundamentally, I worked at McDonald's. I went to Wells College as an undergraduate, and where did I work? The dining hall. Mm-hmm. And then my administrative career started as dean of students, and you know what you worry a lot about when you're a dean of students? Food service. Really? So is there that, it is. And here I am now. Uh, yeah, fighting yep. poverty, and of course, hunger is key to all of that. So I guess like the two of you, food has been central. And then and then, where did the transition come to AARP Foundation? Well, what's exciting is that next week I start my fifth year at AARP Foundation. And I had been a... Thank you, Tiffany. Congratulations. It, as a result, <laughs> just as an aside, Billy, I'm thinking I should eat the breakfast pastry with sprinkles and glitter. I think there should do, be what a do you cake think? in your near future, I think honestly. <laughs> a candy Breakfast cake. pastries, come on, think bigger. Candy so cake. <laughs> I, I got up early this morning and I went I went to Buttercream Bakery, uh, which I have always loved. Um, but I've never been there right when they open. And, of course, the selection is almost like how do you decide what to buy. So I bought about seven or eight different things. Um, Tiffany, tell us what some of these are. You'll notice that the... A ham and cheddar scone is, there's only half of one there, there because I ate the like other half got started. on the way here. I got yeah, started you have on a good that. little mix here. I mean, you have one of my favorite things, which is the cinnascone. Um, oh. That's something that we're the only ones that do it. It's a So um, it looks like a cinnamon roll? It looks like a cinnamon roll, but it's actually a buttermilk scone really? dough okay. that All we right. roll up with cinnamon roll filling and then bacon glaze. That's, honestly, I, I can't eat them anymore because I find them so addicting that I had to, like, quit cold turkey. Because <laughs> it was like, I can't eat one of these every day. This is ridiculous. Um so, so I, I can actually see you sort of backing away from the box. Yeah, I'm like, oh, God, no. <laughs> Don't start. Uh, I strongly recommend the, the, the ham and cheddar scone, which I tried. It's just it's yeah, buttery we, and it's just it kind of melts in your mouth. I've been making those since before Buttercream Bake Shop. That yeah. kind of like held over from the last place I worked. People loved it so much. And, you know, it's hard as a chef. You want to constantly be doing new things. But then sometimes you just have to leave some things alone because people love them. And you feel like you have to have sweet and savory at the bake shop. In the shop, morning. Right? Kind of yeah, in the morning for sure. Um, yeah. And, you know, people in the morning are creatures of habit. So we have half of the morning things we do rotate, but the other half to stay the same all the time. So you've got some unicorn bars. Yeah. Uh, those are just a blondie with sprinkles, but we sell a ton of them. And my favorite thing about them is whether it's a one-year-old child or a grown man, their face is covered in glitter, edible glitter when they're done eating it. And that's something that I will, that will never get old. Well, I read, <laughs> I, I read an interview with you in, I think, Eater Magazine, and you said, mm-hmm. what did you say? Uh, everything, literally everything needs sprinkles, which is kind of true of not just food, but life, right? You just like want to, totally, yeah. things should sparkle. It's what we live by. We actually have a, a sprinkle, a whole shelf when we were first opening the bakery. We were just 
out of money. I mean, we were just scrapping it together. We had to do a Kickstarter at the end. You know, it was really hard. But when I was buying shelving for the walls, I remember I was like, we need a sprinkle shelf. And it was only like $50, but it felt so indulgent because we just didn't have any extra money. And all the sprinkles are on there in color order, like a rainbow. And we probably have like 50 different colors. And it's something that everyone in the kitchen loves. Like it's the most neatly arranged, beautiful thing in the kitchen because we use so many sprinkles and we all just like love looking at them. And I don't know, it's just a really fun place to work. So as an educator, (laughs) right, I was a college president for a long time and a teacher of fifth and eighth grade. I see your theater arts background in setting that stage. Yeah, you're right. Am I I right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great insight. I feel like theater and arts are great for everybody because you use that through your entire career. It's kind of like what you're saying with customer service. Yes. It just makes you a better speaker, easy to be around people. Like, it it was such a great thing that I did when I was younger. Like I said, when I transitioned into food, my parents were so shocked. They're like, wow, we wasted all those years taking you to dance lessons and sending you places to schools and this, that, and the other. And I was like, no, it wasn't a waste. Sure. Right. Right. It helped. It helps me right. every single day of my life. I'm the mom of an abstract painter and a dancer and another wow. daughter who works in the arts. So I'm the parent who says that's fabulous yes. foundation. Love right. It. The creativity. You know, Billy, I didn't answer you earlier. You said, how did I come to ARP Foundation? It's about supporting mission driven organizations. Mm-hmm. Right. I hear mm-hmm. I know that's true for all of us. So just the the issue of solving for senior poverty is big and compelling. And, and urgent. And, and how did you and the ARP Foundation find each other, though? Well, they were recruiting for a new president for the foundation, and they reached out to me. And I was a member. Well, I was at Wells. I'd Mm -hmm. already made the decision to retire. I'd been the president for a long time, 18 years. So it was important for me to to leave time in my life to try something new. I'd been telling students for years, you won't have the same career. You'll be changing, and you need to be agile. So I wanted to walk that talk. And the more I talked with leaders at AARP and AARP Foundation and found out about the facts, right, you and I work in solving for hunger and solving for poverty. It was eye-opening. I knew it existed, but I didn't know the extent. Mm-hmm. And I thought this is something I could get around and put my energy toward. Well, speaking of trying something new, I'm gonna while we're talking, I'm gonna try the Cinescone, okay. just okay. at least a piece of it, and you guys should feel free as well, yeah, even though you've too. sworn them off. I'm Tiffany. good. <laughs> um, but, I'd keep uh, scraps for breakfast. Pass it over, Billy. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is really amazing. That's better than a cinnamon. Gotta get all the way to the middle too. Yeah. The middle's the no, best part. I'm gonna part. work my way in there. <laughs> this is your buttermilk basis, or yeah, it's a buttermilk oh. scone. Yeah. No. So you know, healthy buttermilk. It's like totally good for you. Now, nutrition really for the ARP Foundation. Nutrition really is um, for seniors. It's one of you know several issues. I know. I know you're focused on work. You're focused on. Nutrition. You're focused on. I think also um, degree, the degree to which seniors are isolated That's right. somewhat, or at least trying to avoid that for them. But talk about the role of um, senior hunger uh, at Share Strength. We work on childhood hunger. That's right. Um, not because we don't think senior hunger is important, but just because we've been focused on you know trying to uh, direct all of our resources sure. to actually solve that problem, end that problem, and then move on. But senior, senior hunger also gets overlooked quite a bit in this country. Could you tell us a little bit about the dimensions of it? Yeah, it really does. And thank you for giving that longer leading because I was finishing my chewing. I mean, just <laughs> excellent. That Cinescone is terrific. I'll keep yes, we do. As, as Billy said, we work on interrelated social determinants of health, of hunger, housing, income, and isolation. All really important, right? Because when you're in difficulty and living in poverty, it's like spinning a wheel. You have so many multiple challenges every day. The hunger piece is important to us. And Billy, you know I'm thrilled about your absolute focus on childhood hunger. We want individuals. We should solve. It's way past time to solve hunger in America, right? For us, it's about the fact that 10 million people who are 50 and older are hungry each and every day in this nation. 
And older adults who are hungry or living in poverty, they don't often ask for the help that they need. And what so, resources are available to them? So they're not, you know, there certainly are resource, resources in community. If you think about communities gathering to help through food shelving and food pantries and uh, programs, uh, certainly participation in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or SNAP. But for older adults who are eligible, the although there have been increases, still the participation rate is just over 40%. So that means that we have, you know, well over 5 million older adults who are eligible, who are participating, so, and so these they need services, that help. The support exists for them. It's, it's in effect, bought and paid for, right? It's, the, it, it's there. Yes. So we need to educate, right? Okay. We need to educate, and we need to, um, and let's talk about it in your work as well, about schools. I think oftentimes people in need don't, they worry that somebody else needs the help more, and so they're not reaching out. So we have to educate. We have to make enrollment in services, I think, easier and more accessible for individuals too. People people need help so that they can be healthy. Hunger is a health issue. Hunger is a health issue. It's why ProMedica and AARP Foundation started the Root Cause Coalition of which you, Billy and Cher, our strength, are a key member. Right, and which sponsors at Passion and Star, our That's podcast. Right. Um, Tiffany, we uh, had Michael Babin in here uh, recently because you started Arcadia. as at Arcadia and didn't you start yeah. as part of the neighborhood I did. I did. That was my, my husband initially. and I moved here for that. And actually, and your husband's Arcadia a chef was, there now. No, he actually just opened his own restaurant um, called the Salt Line down by the Nat Stadium. So, yep. yeah, yep. I left about three years ago, and he left about two years ago. Um, but one of the things we were most excited about while we were there actually was Arcadia, and I still—it's something I really believe in. Um, and, I, and when we first started, it actually describe what Arcadia does. So Arcadia, well, they do a few different things. They do education for children, so they'll bring children to the farm and talking about growing food and eating healthy and, you know. But one of the other things that they do is they do a food truck that can go into different underserved neighborhoods and help get fresh food to people, which is, you know, it's so crazy. I, I You don't really think of how lucky you are growing up in a family that does eat fresh food until you've seen what other people experience. Um, I had never experienced anything like what I saw working with Arcadia until I started really working with them. And... um it's so important. I mean, I know that there's been people who have come in to even to the restaurants to trail for a position. Um, you know, when they're interviewing, they come in and spend a day in the kitchen and we'd say, go downstairs and get some beets. And they're like, don't know what a fresh beet even looks like because mm. they're just used mm. to eating right. things from a can. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Arcadia was great in that way. You know, actually, when I was listening to you talk about, you know, I know you guys focus on childhood hunger. I work with you guys frequently on events yeah. and fundraisers and it's it's, it is crazy that it's even still an issue, but one of my employees, this amazing pastry assistant of mine, her first job was actually as a lunch lady um, in really? Texas. In a, in, a, in a school in Texas? Mm-hmm. In a she, was, she was really young, in, in a, a cafeteria, yep, in an elementary school. And she told me that if kids' parents haven't paid their lunch stipend, they would literally have to take the food out of their hands and give them like a cheese and bread sandwich. Yeah, which and is just, which has become very controversial now, known as lunch shaming. It just, uh, and schools right. have just, been all shaming. Even just saying kids. it right now gives me goosebumps. It just yeah. makes me sick to think that that's something that people experience. Where we get to experience food in such a loving, emotional, wonderful way. For other people, it's painful. It's just right. really yeah. sad and right. terrible. Right, and it is that you know, as we're talking about, it's the issue of access. Right, for sure, and and nutritious food. Everyone has a right to right. good food. Just healthy food that will make us strong and we, avoid illness. We were not too long ago in Oakland, California, and the um, principal of the school was telling us, I'm glad you're here on a Monday morning to see how many 
kids come to the cafeteria for breakfast because it's a much, much larger number than the rest of the week because these kids hungry. don't eat over the weekend. And so uh, almost as you were just saying, Tiffany, when you think about the weekend, what the weekend means to most of us, whether it's watching sports and having barbecue Ordering and pizza, beers yeah. and pizza and all the ways that we celebrate on weekends, many of which are around food. And to think that weekends mean something completely different to so many other kids you know, in our own country. It's, and the it's summers. pretty shocking. And summer and summers, as well when, right. the schools are, when the schools are closed. Seems like something we should be able to fix pretty sure. easily. There's a lot of food out there. And in all <laughs> institutions, right? So as Billy said, this, you know, food shaming. You can imagine, you can sort of close your eyes at any age and imagine having someone tell you that you don't have access to food. Well, it's not going to encourage you to show back up at breakfast the next morning, is it? Right. Right. Or at lunch, and I think what you you know, I think what you you see, Tiffany, as a as somebody who works in the restaurant industry, as really the foundation for so much of what we do at Share Our Strength, which is you see firsthand that we have the food. You know, we know what the what the abundance of food is in this country. So the the fact that some kids don't have it, uh, just you know, it is interesting too. I mean, sense. a place like a bakery, you know, we do have a lot of food waste because a lot of it we have to bake every day. We want enough till the end of the day. We don't want to run out, but we always have some left over. And even finding a place to give the food to is difficult. Um, I remember when I was at Buzz Bakery in in um, Virginia, we had breakfast or we had like sandwiches, pre-made sandwiches, and we would, you know, keep them for two days. They were still perfectly fine to eat after two days, but we just didn't want to sell them. And trying to find a shelter that would take the food was really hard because they have so many rules they have to abide by. It was really frustrating yep. to think, we have this food. It's made with great ingredients. It's totally fine for eating, and we can't, we literally can't find someone to give it to. Well, you know that is such a stark reminder of this chasm between those who need food and good food. The distribution networks are off, right? I mean, I really yes. think that's what right. I hear you saying, Tiffany, because it certainly isn't that we do not have the food available. Right. And then incentivizing, as you said, for the healthier food. So we're working on a program in Mississippi and Tennessee where they have very negative health outcomes due to malnutrition and hunger. Just working with the USDA and Kroger's United Healthcare, the foundation, with food incentives. So SNAP participants of any age, we measure what's happening for older adults for sure, but can come in and easily access deep discounts and return and purchase, both at stores but also at farmer's markets. So you can do this whether it's urban, neighborhood, or rural. And Lisa, the AARP Foundation works all over the country, right? All over the country. every state. We do. What what, what do you think are the most important, we've talked a little bit about hunger and nutrition, what are the other most important things the rest of us should understand about the challenges that that vulnerable seniors face? Yeah, I think it, you know, our two goal areas really sum it up, and that is that Throughout the lifespan and the health span, people need access to quality economic opportunity and strong social networks and supports that help us remain connected, both to resources and our social networks. 37 million people 50 and older don't have enough resources to secure the essentials in their lives. That's what I would want people to know. And as a result, are, are you telling us that they're living in, what, substandard housing, not sufficient health care? What kind of conditions it, you are know, they the, facing? The situation would vary person to person, and certainly there are those their stories to tell. But I would want us to, and listeners certainly, to sort of close their eyes and just imagine that you are spinning a wheel. And you're trying to figure out, can I afford rent? Can I pay my heat bill? Can I buy my medicine? Can I buy my food? Right? But food is medicine. So how do you make those changes? So it is lack of access to healthy housing, 
safe and affordable housing mm-hmm. for sure. And for employment opportunities across the lifespan, I bet, Tiffany, you certainly see that in your restaurants that you have many, many older adult workers. And older adults who live in poverty, they're not really talking about their retirement so much. They just want access to work. Good jobs with good pay. Tiffany, when you started the restaurant uh, just two years ago now, um, that must have been a started the bake, bakery. That must have been a Herculean undertaking. I mean, it really started was. from scratch. <laughs> For being such a small so. bakery, it seemed like a lot of work to get it open. But, um, but you, know, you, and you had tremendous support from the community, though, right? Oh, we were what, so What do you attribute lucky. that to? I mean, D.C., honestly, I, this, at the risk of sounding cheesy, D.C. has been so amazing. It's like the camaraderie is almost magical. Like coming from New York, I have a lot of friends in New York, and New York was an amazing place to come up as a chef. Um, I would not change the 10 years I spent there for anything. But moving to D.C. was one of the greatest decisions we ever made. I mean, the chef community, the food community, the, the customers, our clients, everybody is so invested in D.C. and making it a great food city and just a great city in general. That um, So it, it was not just you, was not just you and your charm. But the, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, to others, to others experience the same thing. I mean, it's, it really seems like there was such an embrace of Buttercream Bakery. There was. I mean, there was. And I'm so, so grateful for it. But I do feel like a lot of my friends, you know, right now is a really fun time for my husband and I because, you know, we just both opened our own restaurants, which I never in a million years, if you'd asked me. Before, do you ever we, see each other? No, hardly ever. <laughs> I, <would think laughs> I so. work really early and he works really <laughs> right. late. But you know what? It works out for us. It's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, I would have never said we would be a to restaurant owning household like that's crazy to me even still now when I think about it I can't believe it but um you know we have a lot of other friends that are kind of the same generation of chefs that are starting to all open their own businesses mm-hmm. and it's amazing how we've all kind of rallied around each other in support um I do think that buttercream gets a little more than everyone else though <laughs> when we were first opening the chefs were so great people would bring us food because we were just like trapped in the dungeon baking the biggest mistake I made when we were opening was not thinking we were going to be busy. I definitely thought that um, I didn't want to hire too many people and have to lay people off. And it was a huge mistake. Within two days, I was like, oh, my God, I've made a horrible mistake. I didn't hire any dishwashers. My poor husband would come after work and wash dishes till like 2 in the morning for us. Like The ramp up was quick. It was really crazy. But, um, you know, so all of our chef friends would bring us food every day because we just all we had was dessert, which is delicious. But, you know, one can only eat so much dessert. Um but yeah, DC in general has been great. I mean, we launched the Kickstarter. I was so certain we wouldn't make it. <laughs> we wouldn't, you know, finish launching it. And I was How much very did worried. you have to raise on Kickstarter? I did 45000 and we ended up really? getting to forty nine. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, people are still redeeming their gifts. Yeah. I, I just left it long lead. I was like, listen, if you want to get a cake, you can get it whenever you want for uh, the existence of the business. <laughs> sure. Thank you for supporting us. You know, it's it was we were so, so grateful. I have a business partner, Alex, Alexandra, and... um. You know, we were really struggling to get there at the end, but no. No, you we mentioned, did it. You mentioned the dungeon a couple of times. What, what goes on down there? What's it look like down there? <laughs> we actually have a really <laughs> nice can't size. can't be as bad as it really sounds, nice, right? Oh, no, it's actually super fun. We had a girl that came in trail the other day. Um, we're, we're totally So when you staff. say trail, that means like follow somebody around? Yeah, or, they spend the know, day in the kitchen with us. Okay, it's kind right. of like when somebody's interviewing for a position in a restaurant, they do a thing called a trail. It's kind of like a two-way interview. Uh, restaurants... When you're coming up in your career in anything, it's so important that you pick the right next step to get you to your goal. So I always insist on a trail because we want to make sure it's the right fit, but they also need to make sure, you know, that it's the right fit for them. 
we had a girl come in, and I, I wasn't hiring, but I said, listen, just come in. You never know. I might need someone later or know someone else that's looking. It's always good to meet new people. And um, she emailed me after, and she said, you know, I've been to a lot of places, and even though you guys do serious food, you have so much fun doing it. And that felt really great because I feel like we have a great staff, you know. So can Lisa I, and I come in trail? Well, I was yeah. just thinking that. Yeah, really, I think don't we should. love this notion of the trail? And as you're it. talking about it, Tiffany, and the generosity and the mutuality of it, on my mind, when we think about economic opportunity, right, across yep. the lifespan, it is that sort of apprenticeship programs, creating pathways yes. for success. So I heard you say it's you have to know what the next step is so and whether important. or not your goal is the right goal. That's important throughout our entire life. Right. And your 10-year plan can change. Absolutely. But having an idea of what you want is so important. You want to always take steps forward. It doesn't necessarily even mean financially. It could just mean who you're learning from or where you're going or what connections you're making. You know, there's there's lots of ways to define success. And in restaurants especially, it's not always financial. You know, sometimes the right next move is to work for a chef that you really respect and that you want to learn from, Mm -hmm. even if you're taking a slight pay cut. You know, so that's why we always do the trail. And I always tell my employees, if someone doesn't offer you a trail, that's a red flag. If they don't want to meet you before you come in, it tells me that they're not looking to invest in the people that they hire as much as others are. Because I want to hire people that I know. I want to be around 60 hours a week and that I want to, you know, invest in and cultivate their careers and help them do their own thing. But that's such a generosity of spirit. Yes. So when you right. say, Billy, let's go do the trail, it, both it would be fun, right, interesting and great food, but I'm your generosity is compelling to me in, in talking with you Well, today. my staff really makes me want to do it because they're literally, I've never in my career loved every person that works for me so much. It's, I'm so lucky. I don't even want to jinx like it. It's a yeah. total great time. <laughs> I don't even don't want to jinx it. You, you think about, um, it's like a neighbor concept. And you're doing that in your businesses, which is we all could be better neighbors each and every day and solve many of the problems that we're trying to solve. Right. Right. Well, you know, one of the things I love about the AARP's approach and the AARP Foundation is at Share Strength, when we talk about childhood hunger, we talk about how these children are not only vulnerable, but voiceless in many ways. Uh, With seniors, at least, there is a voice. That's one of the things to me that is unique about AARP which is you've created, you've, you've marshaled uh, older Americans into this political force, right? Mm-hmm. So people listen when they, the ARP talks. When I say people, I mean here in Washington, members of Congress, listen, you can get in the door and make the case. And that just seems to be, you know, relative to other vulnerable populations, such an important insight that the AARP had. Um, and then the way you've executed has been, so effective in representing seniors. Yeah, I appreciate that, Billy, and certainly will share that uh, great support and laudatory praise across the organization. And it helps at AARP Foundation, where we're a separate, we're the separate organization, the charity um, of AARP, because AARP members, that voice remains large, and AARP members are really generous in their donations to the foundation to help their neighbors in needs, low-income older adults who are struggling, who are in a different position than they are in. Tiffany, I know that um, chefs and restaurateurs, bakers, uh, from all the folks we've had on the podcast, you get asked to do everything, right? Because you're just you're one of the anchors of the community, and and you have something that people can you know monetize or use to attract people to their yes. fundraisers events. How do you decide? You've been incredibly generous in your support of Share Our Strength and our No Kid Hungry campaign. It's so interesting. I was just thinking while you were talking, thinking about you know, it's so hard as a business to 
figure out how to give back to the community in a way that, you know, it's things that you feel passionately about, but also that makes sense for the business. Um, we literally get six to seven requests a week from different charities. Yeah. And it's horrible to say no because you can't, you we can't want say to say yes to, yes to every right. single thing. But, you know, we just simply can't. So the way that we kind of look at it is we select a couple of charities that we work really closely with. And then the rest of them, we just do what we can based on what we have left, um, you know, allotted for that, you know, for charitable contributions. But it really is hard because, you know, you read these stories and you read these letters and you just you want to help everyone because there are so many great causes out there. But for us, food is it like I said, it's such an important part of our life. It's something that I truly love. And so we've invested most of our energy into, um, you know, helping with hunger. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think about what you're talking about in terms of your social responsibility and mm-hmm. activism in the community and your philanthropy, really. And you're focused. And we know this about our own lives, whether it's our work lives, or our personal lives. Focus does matter when you're trying to drive outcomes. So I appreciate your sensibility to want to do something for every organization, but you're focusing on a few and really working hard to help those organizations have outcomes. Yep. That's uh, admirable. Thanks. I think I think that that's what a lot of restaurants do, too. You know, like I said, it's just a sea of requests, but mm-hmm. find a couple that you really believe in and give your all to them. I think that's the best way to do it. And be great strategic partners, because we know in that Root Cause Coalition, in fact, was formed for this reason, and AARP Foundation works in this way. I know Share Our Strength does as well. You have to bring a variety of partners, strategic partners, to the table in order to solve, certainly for hunger, childhood hunger, or hunger across lifespan, or poverty. It takes... All of us with different unique assets coming together with real focus on a shared goal. I want to talk about one other kind of serious issue only because it's in the news. It's not a usual topic of this podcast, but we were chatting about it a little bit before Mm -hmm. we started, which is sexual harassment, uh, which is now being paid attention to across a number of industries. But in the culinary world, starting with uh, the chef and restaurateur John Besh, a story that came out. Uh, a few weeks ago, and you were saying, Tiffany, that when you started in the industry, it was pretty pervasive. Um, and, yeah, and, and, I mean, and just something that was, you know, I feel like I'm almost numb to, to it. <laughs> you know, it's it's so hard because you never know how anyone's going to react to anything. Um, somebody can say something as a joke to another person, and if you overhear it, that could be offensive, and they don't even intend to offend you or include you in it. You know, people actually physically touching people or sexually harassing them in a, in a much more aggressive way. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of amazing chefs out there and I, I don't want people to get a bad rap because I think there's a lot of great places to work and chefs that are truly inclusive of everyone. But it's it's going to get really interesting. My husband and I talked a lot about this when we were in New York because it had just been broken while yep. we were there, the, the news. And I'm really scared for what might be coming down the pipeline. But this is what it, sometimes what revolution looks like. You know, it can be painful and messy, but hopefully it'll be, have a good outcome where people can move up in their careers and feel free to say what they need to say and, you know, not be treated, you know, in that way. And it sounds like you have mostly women that work at the bakery, and that must be a, a kind of a, you know, a, a relief for them that they don't even have to think about that as an they issue. Don't. because it's great. Because of, you know, your leadership there. And the boys that work there and the men that work there are awesome. You know, everybody gets along well. Everybody respects each other. You know, I was talking to my husband about it, and I was like, I just, you know, he came up in restaurants as well. And I said, I just don't understand why is it really that hard not to touch someone <laughs> or not to attack someone sexually? And he's like, 
no, it really isn't. <laughs> so I don't I don't really understand why it's so common in kitchens. I think, you know, it is a little more testosterone driven because there are so many chefs. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of wonderful chefs to work for. So I think I'll be interested to see what happens. I I hope there's not a lot of, you know, additional information that comes out about a lot of other chefs, but I feel that there will be, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I had a, a friend who called before the John Besh story came out, before the uh, New Orleans Times-Picayune broke that story, to say, uh, you know, you guys ought to be thinking about it since you work with so many chefs, and this is going to, we're going to find out that this is really pervasive in the industry. And as you were saying, Lisa, before we sat down, this is true, not just obviously in the culinary industry or the entertainment sure. industry with the Harvey Weinstein story, but it's you know, unfortunately, across a lot of different industries. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly, you know, sexual harassment can happen across uh, sexual identity or gender identity. But for women, as you were saying, Tiffany, just given structural imbalances, right, glass ceilings, uh, now voices are being heard. But it isn't. Uh, well, and, you know, these stories are not surprises for us, are they? Yeah, that's what's unfortunate, right. I think. Yeah. I think, you know, what you just said about it's it's coming out now about kitchens. I think everybody knows it, just no one wants to talk about it. Yeah. And that's, like I said, that's kind of what a revolution is. It's where right. we force people to talk about it, force them to confront it, and it's going to probably ruin a lot of careers. And the unfortunate part is, you know, ruining career means the employees that work for that company are also put at risk. And, you know, these could be things that happened many, many years ago, and that's, but, you know, sometimes things have to come out in order for progress to happen. Yeah, yeah I think wrongs have to be righted, and you know, again, as, as I hear you talking about the way you lead your business, so you're driving clarity all of the time and setting up an environment that's really inclusive yes. and listening to your employees, and you're just clear, right, about what the expectations are, what the rules are. Uh, that's important in every organization. Well, and I think, too, the new the new wave of chefs, of, of man, men and um, women that are now chefs, I think that there's much less tolerance for that kind of behavior. I kind of think of, of this as sort of an old school way of running restaurants. Yeah. Um, and I find that it refreshing that there are so many chefs. I mean, I don't know any chefs that are close friends of mine that would ever tolerate tolerate this kind of behavior in their kitchens or their restaurants. So to me, that's a relief. It's just a shame that these things are going to have to come out now and it could be so destructive to the businesses that exist and the people that work in them. But, you know, you're right. There should be, um, it, it needs to come out. And it does it. I mean, it raises everybody's consciousness about it, right? Whether you've ever mm -hmm. been in a position like that, or whether you've ever been in an industry where you've witnessed it or experienced it, it just raises everyone's consciousness. So I think there will be no going back, you know, in a very good way. Yes, yeah. I don't think we'll ever go back to that old way. Yeah, I think you're right, Billy. It's a the the dialogue which is prevalent right now is just a reminder to each of us about our expectations of others and our and our personal accountability and responsibility ourselves as leaders to always be thinking about, well, it gets back to our conversation about hunger and equity, to be thinking about power, balances, imbalances, yep. inclusion, and it's really broadest, deepest meaning, and speaking out, certainly not behaving in a manner that is demeaning, discriminatory, or harassing to anyone, but speaking out when we see it. Yep. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's not just about your own actions. It's also about protecting people from the actions of others. I mean, that's right. A couple of days after they announced the thing about um, John Besh, they announced that a chef in Chicago, a notable one, and the GM at the Publican were both let go from their positions, not because they did anything wrong, but because they didn't defend and take care of somebody who was being attacked. 
So I think it needs to go even further than just worrying about your own personal self and the way that you treat others. Of course, you should have high standards. Right, but but, the responsibility that you have. If you see something, say something applies to a lot of things. You know, that slogan in New York, it applies everywhere. And in terms of humanity, you know, the, the statement we know, which is that we are all bound together. Right? Yes. We yes. are. We're bound together and we need to take care of each other, not just self. Look out for each other and and not be blind to injustices. And so when we think about children who are hungry, seniors who live in poverty, people in poverty, that's about our individual actions. It's certainly about structural changes that have to happen in systems as well. But it's shared accountability. Yeah. The great uh, African-American poet Gwendolyn Brooks uh, has a, a poem that ends with... Uh, the stanza, we are each other's harvest. That's right. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. And I love that notion that we are each other's harvest, right? We all depend on each other in, in just the way that you described, uh, Lisa. Um, tell us what's next for the ARP Foundation, where you're headed. Uh, will your priorities change at all? What will you be working on that's different from what you're doing now? Yeah, we're really uh, hyper-focused, laser-focused, just as you are, Tiffany, and you are, Billy, and your organizations on driving towards outcomes. And, you know, that can be tough work. Sometimes in organizations we measure outputs as opposed to what is the change we really want to see in people's lives because of our work and being very disciplined around that evidence. So uh, there is a change there in our work with that focus and moving towards outcomes. We want to continue to expand the boundaries and bring in maybe people would know it as strange bedfellows, like who are the partners Mm -hmm. individually and organizationally in communities and across this nation who could and should be working with us? How do we share our resources together to fight senior poverty? And then we're focused on personal impact, but also this notion of scale. So reaching more people when you have so many older adults who are in need. And that means working with more startup companies, thinking about not ever taking away the human interaction, but technology is a very powerful tool for scale. So it will be a big focus for us going forward. And if there, I guess the last thing I'd like to ask you in terms of people who are listening to this podcast who otherwise care about uh, seniors in poverty want to do something, is the AARP Foundation set up to, if you want to, uh, learn more if you want to act, if you want to volunteer. How do you how do you do that? Yeah, aarpfoundation.org. Just head to uh, that our our website uh, or give us a call. We're certainly fueled by partnerships with wonderful organizations, but also volunteers. We have tens and tens of thousands of volunteers who help power our work in communities across this nation. So it's both the gift of time and the gift of resources, and we're looking for good ideas. So contact us. I'll get back to you. That'd be great. Yeah, we do. And we want everyone to, you know, you say what's next. It's uh, senior poverty is invisible, and we have to put a spotlight on it and lift it out of the shadows. That is what's next for us as well. Excellent. Tiffany, you talked about being a two-restaurant family. Are you going to be more than a two-restaurant family? Would be a three-restaurant family? I don't think so. <laughs> you're pretty <laughs> you young and dynamic. I can't believe you're going to stop at Buttercream Bakery. You but... know what? I actually learned in opening Buttercream Bake Shop is that I um, really like having two days off a week. Oh, <laughs> it's well, the that's first a good time thing. in yes. my entire career that I have. And every time I think about opening a second location or doing something different, I think work-life balance. I'm trying to find it. And so I think we're going to stick with one for a while. We're really, really happy with the one. And the thing that's hard about doing multiples is I have to tear myself a little bit away. And I just love it there. And I don't want to. So we'll see. All right. How about new products that we should look forward to? Oh, well, there's lots of Halloweeny stuff right now. Oh, right, so right, right. So that's kind of fun. That's okay. today. Yep. All right. Um, 
Yeah. And, and what are your staples, by the way? What's the is it the uh, the cinna the cinnascone? The cinnascone is definitely really popular. The unicorn bars are really popular. We do um, a thing called the happy camper. That's it's like a s'mores bar, but um, we make this delicious honey vanilla marshmallow fluff that gets torched on top of it. That's super delicious. And what's this three-story brownie that I'm looking at with all oh, these different layers? Oh, that's the crownie. It's the a crownie. layer of chocolate chip cookies and then um, Oreo cookies and then a salted caramel brownie on top. It's all in there. It's all in there. All the bites. <laughs> wow. All the things you need. <laughs> wow. We have tips on what to pick up in our next visit, Bill. There you go. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, we'll be back soon. And I think we're going to come to the dungeon if we get a chance. I might bring my 12-year-old. I think if, you know, if... Uh, you know, we've if, actually done a couple of kids doing um that do, you know, internships through their schools. Really? that do work studies. Um, it's a little bit tricky. I, I probably shouldn't even say that on air because I don't want people <laughs> reaching yeah, out for sure. too many of them because, you know, it is a professional kitchen, so things move pretty quick. But it's kind of fun having kids in there. You know, it gives... What I like about having a kid is that it gives all of the cooks someone to teach. And being a chef is all about being able to teach and disseminate information and, you know, make people understand what you need them to do. So having kids in the kitchen is kind of nice for that because it gives everyone the opportunity to... To practice. Yeah, chefs are teachers. I, I mean, I, we don't always talk about it that way, but you're right. They chefs really are, are. I mean, it's like you can't do everything with your own hands. So you have to make other hands, you know, do exactly what you would want yeah. them to do. So, And, you know, as an educator, teachers are learners too, right? It's that great cycle of yep. learning. To be teacher is to be learner is to be teacher. Absolutely. So that's exciting too. And that's the other nice thing about having all women in the kitchen. It's a very supportive environment. You know, we all have ideas. We all try things out. There's not that kind of like, I don't know, when it was all men felt a little bit like if somebody had an idea, they had to make fun of them for it. That right, kind of right, too right, cool for right. school. And they're all friends, but, you know, that was sort of the attitude. I am seeing another podcast in our future yes. <laughs> on uh, topics so, that are emerging. What, oh, do yeah. you think it'll, it, will it stay all women? I mean, is that by design, by it's accident? It's not by or, design. It's yeah. totally by accident. We just hired a couple of guys for the counter upstairs. Um, kind of by accident, but... The vibe is just so good. I don't really want to mix it okay, up. No, it's no. okay to make it your design, though, no, right? No yeah, guys. yeah, it is. Said from, you know, as a president of a former women's college. Right. right. That's right. all right to have a place that's uniquely designed for the success of the women. Right. We're right. working with you. Guys upstairs, but not in the dungeon. There you go. <laughs> all right. Um, thanks for being with us. <laughs> Tiffany Isaac from uh, Buttercream Bake Shop. And thanks for your longtime generosity towards Share Our Strength mm. and the anti-hunger work that you're My involved pleasure. in. My pleasure. Uh, Lisa Ryerson, ARP Foundation, and uh, part of Root Cause Coalition, which has been such an important partner of ours at Add Passion and Stir. Thanks Great. for being here. Always good to be with you, and we're thrilled that you're a member of the Root Cause Coalition. We are, too. Get closer to the problems that you care about. There's a famous photographer named Robert Kappa who once said, if your pictures are not good enough, you're not close enough. Well, in the social change space, getting close, bearing witness, going into the community, working with people directly, getting an understanding of what they need, that's often the precursor to really powerful transformational change. Don't just post, don't just preach, get your hands dirty and get involved. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.